Well, hello, and welcome to the RCC Podcast. We are so glad you chose to join us today. It is our hope that you are inspired, challenged, and learn something new. Enjoy the message. So if you have a Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 1, we are in week 10 of a series called You Are Not the King. It's this a 10-week series that we started, guess, 10 weeks ago, and we started at the end of 1 Samuel, and we've been working our way to the beginning. The beginning. And some of you might be wondering for 10 weeks now, why? Why did we start at the end and work our way all the way to the beginning? Well, if you have been wondering that, or if you're brand new, and now you're deeply interested in why we did that, I'm going to tell you finally this morning, and it'll begin to reveal itself as we do. Now we're in the, the Christmas season. We got three days. Everyone's shopping is done. And so we've, uh, you know, clicked everyone, right? And you've clicked off all the lists, whether it was, you know, going to the store, or your Amazon wish list, or your Christmas list, or your Santa list, or whatever it might be. And probably there's some of us in here who have like a deep wish for a certain gift, something that you want. Or maybe you're past that stage in life and you don't have that because when you deeply want something, you just go buy it now. But you can remember a time when you had a deep wish for Christmas. So much that you wanted it, that you were willing to bargain with whoever in your life bought gifts, right? The, uh, the puppy bargain is probably the most famous, right? If you give me the puppy, then I'll take care of it, right? That's how it goes. Never happens that way, but that's how the bargain is set up. Or, you know, maybe you tried this one when you were a kid or your kids try this on you. Hey, if you buy me this, then, then you don't have to give me something for my birthday, right? You come up with different bargaining tools to get what you want. Well, today we're gonna see a bargain prayer, a deep Christmas wish that a woman has. We're gonna see her pour this request out to God and... We're going to see God answer it. But as we do, I want us to see why we moved from the end to the beginning and also what this wish is really all about. Let's start in verse 1. There was a certain man of Ramathim's Afim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jerum, son of Eluhu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. By the way, the key is to just pretend like you know what you're saying. You just keep rolling. We're introduced here to a new character, a guy by the name of Elkanah. If you're a comic fan, today's talk is like the origin story. And what we're seeing here is the birth of Samuel. And we've seen three main characters throughout this series. At the beginning, which was the end, we saw uh, Saul, the tragic death on a mountain. That gave way to a new king, David. And we saw both uh, Saul and David's rises, and we saw Saul's fall. We saw Samuel mostly as a, in his words, not mine, old gray-haired prophet. We saw him last week as an adolescent boy. Today we learn about his origin story. Starts with his father, a guy by the name of Elkanah, who had two wives. Happens a lot in the Bible, never turns out good, just so you know. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. She's a woman defined by pregnancy. In her case, none. Not such a massive deal in modern America, but a huge deal in ancient Palestine. 
And she would have worn this. And she would have worn it uh, with some level of shame. And uh, you can see that her rival, uh, as uh, the other wife is called, uh, insults her for it, puts her down for it. And that also, it becomes Hannah's deepest source of pain. Now, this man, Elkanah, used to go up year by year, year by year, like a Christmas tradition, year by year. Every year, this moment or this time would come around where it was time for the family to take a journey and a pilgrimage and to arrive where they were supposed to every single year. Now, some of us, our Christmas traditions are things that we love. And year by year, we go and we celebrate and it brings joy. And there are others of us in here who the Christmas season doesn't ring so joyous. In fact, year by year, maybe what Christmas does is remind you more of what you lack than what you have. From personal experience, somebody who didn't get married till 30, um, I can say that some of those uh, upper 20s Christmases weren't so much fun. 28, 29, waking up in your own house on Christmas when you don't decorate because you're a dude, um, is not super joyous. And though Christmas was good and my family is great, there was uh, a shadow of, uh, man, this reminds me almost more of what I don't have than what I do. And that's what it was for Hannah. Every year, year after year. So she would go because she's a good wife and she would do it. But every year she'd go up, reminded of what she didn't have. Year by year from uh, his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Now we get a, a, a quick little uh, kind of parenthetical reference telling us what's going on in town. Where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. Now the priests are uh, the spiritual leaders of Israel and the two are sons of the, the head priest and they're not good priests. And so the state in which we're looking at, the current reality, is a priesthood that is abusive, that is corrupt, uh, that is more self-serving uh, than it is uh, aiming to serve the people. Uh, it is greedy, and uh, it, it, it's political. Uh, it's not a good priesthood. And this is the, how religion uh, has a stranglehold on Israel right now, led by these two bad priests. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion. It's like giving more Christmas gifts to the kid you feel bad for, okay? So I don't know if that actually happens yet. I only have one child, okay? You can ask your parents. He would do this because he knew she was hurting. Now for Hannah, her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. And it is possible uh, that the holidays for you uh, are filled with rivalry. And I remember the phone call I would make every Christmas. It was to my cousin, right? There were five kids in our family. There were two in his family. And our parents worked together. Who do you think got more Christmas gifts, right? Five on two. Right? And so, you know, it was a back and forth. Every Christmas I'd listen and, yeah, and rivalry. Now that one's silly. You get over it by 11. Or do we? Or do we? 
And there's that kind of rivalry. Or maybe it's house rivalry. Lindsay and I put up Christmas lights on our house this year for the first time. And we've lived next to our neighbors for three years. You know how many times they put up Christmas lights? Zero. You know how many days it took them to put up Christmas lights after we did? Like 24 hours. We looked at each other and we're like, we just did that. It felt kind of empowering, actually. Wait till next year. Rivalry. Some of them are like this. They're fun or they're silly. Others aren't. And Christmas becomes rivalry. Rivalry between in-laws. Rivalries between families. Rivalries between siblings. You haven't seen them in a year, and so you make sure you get the new car before you roll in or you have the new thing to talk about. And maybe, and just maybe this year is the year to just put them down and to go into the next few days in Christmas season and to do your part to put the rivalry to rest in your own heart and in however it would play out in actuality. But for Hannah, she had to deal with it, and she always lost because uh, kids was the scorecard, and she was outnumbered. So it went on year by year. Just kept on going. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Think about that. Every time she would go to do this um, spiritual thing, this good thing, every time she would do that, she would associate that with, this is what I don't have. This is what I've lost. Therefore, Hannah wept, and she would not eat. We have to see in Hannah a woman who's hurting, who is filled with pain, who the deepest desire of her heart is unmet. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than 10 sons? Now, this might read as dismissive or arrogant, um, but it's really supposed to read as tender love. Him looking at his wife saying, what else can I do? It, it hurts me to see you this way. And I know some of you have this conversation with loved ones where you say, what else can I do? I, I don't know how else to help. Why the heaviness of heart? And so Hannah and her yearly ritual carried this heaviness. And though she had a good husband, we can assume that she loved not enough. The deep desire of her heart still leaves her lacking. Maybe you can relate to that, where something deep down still feels unsettled, where the holiday season brings up certain thoughts of what's missing. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose my sister taught on this uh, passage at our women's event. I read her notes for it, cheating. And uh, she pointed this out. Hannah Rose, an uh, indication uh, she's ready to take some type of action and uh, not to sit in what she has sat in year after year. She rose. It was time for something new to happen. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. 
Hannah was deeply distressed and she prayed to the Lord and she wept bitterly. Again, this is any of us in hurt or pain. Maybe it's at the point of deep bitterness or weeping. Maybe it's um, a few levels the, on the pain elevator up, uh, but it's a, it's, a, it's a heart that is lacking and wanting. Verse 10, she was deeply distressed and she prayed to the Lord. She wept bitterly and she vowed a vow. This phrase, she vowed a vow, is a, a Hebrew phrase uh, with this term, preyuke. And um, what this term means is to deeply want or desire something, like to have to have it. Like uh, I need it for almost like survival. It is the, the deepest thing inside of me. And for Hannah, no matter what else she had, this year after year was the thing she lacked. And so it left her heart sad. So sad that she vowed a vow. Look at her prayer. Oh, Lord of hosts, she's going to make a deal. And if then, if, if you will indeed look on the affliction, the affliction of your servant. And if you'll remember me and not forget your servant, but you will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. That's a Hebrew thing. If God, if you'll meet me in this place, if you'll meet me right here, if you'll meet me in my deepest desire, then when you've met it, I'll give it back to you. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. Eli said to her, some great Christmas advice. How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Put the bottle down, Hannah. Oh, but Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink. I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord laying it all out in front of him because of this unmet thing inside of me. And I don't know where else to take it because I have a good husband and I uh, have a good life, but this, this thing, it, it hangs over me. And so I'm pouring out my soul before God. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. This term worthless uh, is a term means turned over to evil. It's interesting because in the next chapter, uh, the same term will be used to describe the sons of Eli, the bad priests. They'll be called worthless. 
And uh, what you have here is um, Eli making this assumption that uh, this woman is drunk and she is worthless. She's been turned over to evil, when in reality, those who were posing as religious were the really ones who were. And isn't it interesting that sometimes what we do is we look at those who are troubled in spirit and think, oh, they don't get it, when they're actually the ones who do the most when they understand oh. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along, I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Anyone who would suggest that the scriptures don't understand the modern human soul haven't read it. My great anxiety it makes me worried. I can't get it out of my head. It's all I think about. I see other people playing at Jewish playground, and I think, I want a child. And look what happens. Then Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. It's almost like, whoa, not dramatic enough. Like in a line, he says, okay, go in peace and may it be done. What? And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. I wonder if that's like a modern way of saying, you better not be messing with me because I really want this. And I know where you live. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Something happened inside of her. They rose early in the morning and they worshiped. Now, there's something that happened inside of her that wasn't her getting pregnant, okay? This isn't Mary, right? There's a couple things that have to happen before she can have a baby, okay? I can think of at least two. Now, she wakes up the next day. What does she do? She worships. She worships. She teaches us something, by the way, because two sentences earlier, she was covered in anxiety and vexation. She was waiting, and she was worried. Now she's waiting, and she's worshiping. And there's a difference in how we wait. Because we can wait and worry, and some of us maybe have spent all of 2018 waiting and worrying. We want it. We need it. Whatever it might be. I want to get to this level. I want to get to that. I want to get this going. I want this to happen. I need this to happen. And you're waiting. And the entirety of your waiting is uh, covered in anxiety and vexation. Waiting for the raise. Waiting for school to be over. Waiting for the job. Waiting for the spouse. Waiting for the child. Waiting for the retirement. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Worrying, worrying, worrying. And Hannah teaches us, if you're going to have to wait, replace the worrying with worship. Worship while you wait. There's a song in there. Thank you. So she worships while she waits. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. That's the first thing. And the Lord remembered her, and in due time. Oh, it would be fun to just preach a sermon entitled, Due Time. 
And some of us have been waiting and we've been praying and we've been wanting and it is not yet due time. And I don't know when due time is, but also let this story hold, uh, give us reason to hold on faith that due time arrives at due time. And so don't stop praying for what's on the other end in due time. In due time, Hannah conceived and she bore a son. There's the second thing. And she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. And he was given. What a beautiful story. The deepest longing in her heart met in the birth of a child. In fact, if you go down like seven verses, there's this little interaction between Hannah and Eli. I'm paraphrasing. won't read this way in your Bible. Something like, hey, who are you? And Hannah goes, I'm the same woman from last year. Like, like something has changed so much inside of her. She's not even recognizable. And he's like, what? Yeah, I'm that woman. And, 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 and God came through. God came through. If you jump down to chapter two, there's this title called Hannah's Prayer. I think it's the second most famous prayer by a woman in all of the Bible. She lays out her heart of gratitude for this child that she's had. It is a beautiful story. Hence, but let me connect some dots. Because Samuel's going to grow up, and at a young age, it's going to be clear that the Spirit of God rests upon him. And what Samuel's going to do then is he's going to replace a broken priesthood, a priesthood that is corrupt and more self-serving than it is serving the people and mediating to God. Uh, a priesthood uh, that's more about what can uh, we get than what can we give to you. And Samuel's going to grow up and he's going to replace that priesthood. But at some point in time, what is also going to happen is Samuel, who's going to be uh, the prophet and the priest, he's going to hand over his leadership of Israel over to a king. The first one is going to be a guy by the name of Saul. And Saul is going to be a temporary king, but God is going to put a standard of perfection upon his reign. And when he's unable to live up to the standard of perfection, he's going to be dethroned. And his reign is going to end. And it does so tragically on a mountain at the end of the story. But as the story reads, three days later, news travels from that death to a new king named David who ushers in a brand new reign over Israel. Summary of the book of 1 Samuel. Right there. And it is also the exact summary of the story of Christ. And so why did we go from end to beginning? Because the end is Easter. The end is Easter. 
Saul, the temporary king, represents the law that dies in Christ on a tragic death on a mountain that three days later gives birth to a new reign, David, the reign of grace. And we're supposed to see that as certain as Saul died on that mountain, the reign of the law over us is dead. And as certain as David became the new king, you and I now live under a reign of grace, God's grace and his love and his mercy. And if you don't understand what it means to live under the reign of grace, it means this, that what makes you okay with God is not what you do. That's as simple as I can say it, that your righteousness measured before God is not a scale of your good and your bad. Your righteousness before God is 100% measured upon what Jesus did, 100%. Which means if you've embraced Christ as your king, then you're fully righteous. You're fully righteous. Because Christ's righteousness is your righteousness. Saul and David weren't both king at the same time. What that means is we can't both live under the law and grace at the same time. Only one can be king. We only live under the law where I have to be good to be okay with God or I live under grace. And if I am, it does not matter what I do. If I'm in Christ, I am considered righteous. There's only one king. That's the end of the story. That's why we started there. Then we work our way backwards because every story's got an origin. Right. So there's a different story of a different young lady who is also defined by her pregnancy. And this one, not her lack thereof, but an impossible one that she has one and she's a virgin. This young lady. Pours her heart out to God. This young lady also has a son. And in John chapter one, verse one, reads this. And the word is with God and the word was God. In the beginning, the word is with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh. And locked up in that phrase, it's the exact same root of the Hebrew word for UK. UK, which means what? that the deep desire of the heart has finally been met. Let me say this as simply as I can. What Samuel was for Hannah, Jesus is for each and every one of us. Hannah could not no matter what else she had, find joy in her heart until Samuel was born. If we follow the parallel and the teaching, what it means is that the human heart is incapable of its full and final satisfaction until the son, Christ, was born. But he is. 
which means the same joy that Hannah had when she saw Samuel is the same joy that we're to have when we see Christ. Because the deep desire of the human heart, of your heart, is met only in him. Christmas is God looking out at the world and not just seeing their Amazon list, not just seeing their list that they wrote for their spouse or texted the link to so they don't get the wrong size. Christmas is God looking out at the world and saying, I know what you desire deepest. Here it is. Let's pray. We hope you were inspired, challenged, and learned something new. For more information about our church, visit our website at redemptioncitychurch.tv. Have a great week.